Hello everyone, this is Jared Albrecht, the Yard Sale Artist, welcoming you to a Long Box Crusade Elseworlds episode. a long box crusade elseworlds you might ask well some of your favorite long box crusade members have done some work over on some other podcast networks that you may or may not be familiar with so from time to time we will grab a show from the past that one or all of us has done on one of those other networks and we'll play it for you here whether it's a james bond rookie agent show from on her majesty's secret podcast network or a comics with normies from white rocket entertainment network or some other bit of alternate dimension craziness, we hope that you enjoy this presentation of Longbox Crusade Elseworlds. Hi, I'm Ruth. And I'm Darren. Of Research and Development Q Branch. And the Rad Adventures Network. And you're listening to MI6 Rookie Agents at On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast. Her Majesty's Secret Podcast, brought to you by our fine Patreon sponsors and White Rocket Entertainment. I'm your host for this program, Jared Albrecht, the yard sale artist, a.k.a. Death Probe. And joining me as the veteran Bondophile co-host is my brother, Jason, the Weasel Skull Albrecht. Welcome back, Jason. And as usual, tell us what the most Bondian thing you've done since last recording is, please. Well, like all good agents, Jared, everybody needs a little time away, a little time to decompress from the last mission. So my lovely wife and I traveled back out to Soap Lake, one of our favorite destinations, and we had some Bond-style rest and relaxation. We did a little hiking, a little bird watching, took in the sun, a little swim in the Glacier Lake, which was very invigorating this time of year. Tried a very new restaurant that I think our friend 007 would enjoy, and came back all rested and recuperated and ready for the next mission. What did you do, Jared? Quick follow-up question. Did anybody do a drive-by, and is she still alive? <laughs> No, you know what? And I want my money back. (laughs) (laughs) Now she can't listen to the episode. (laughs) I'm teasing. I love you, baby. I love you, baby. (laughs) Let's not act like our wives listen to the show. (laughs) Wait a minute. You guys' wives listen? No. No. I actually haven't done much Bondian, but I've got Bondian in my sights. This weekend, we're recording this on a Wednesday. By Friday, 48 hours from now, I will be in the presence of meeting and speaking to Luciana Paluzzi, who we all know played Fiona Volpe. (laughs) So, I am fired up about meeting Luciana. Hopefully, I'll get her to do a voice drop for the show. That would be awesome. Yeah, that'd be cool. Tell her we said hello. Well, this episode is the 11th. We've made it 11 episodes, guys. Woo! 
on an ongoing series on this channel called MI6 Rookie Agents. You're listening to Rookie Agents. And on Rookie Agents, Jason and I are taking two friends from our lives who are not very familiar with the 007 universe through the entire James Bond series of films, one movie at a time, to get a newcomer's point of view on the film series that we love so much here at On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast. So let's get to it. Let's welcome our rookie agents to the show. Welcome back, Delvin, The Dark Web, Silverhands, Felix Leiter Williams. Hey, it is awesome to be back. It is a great day. I am bonding, pun very much intended, with my friends. It's a good night to do some podcasting. What you've been up to, that's 007-ish, my friend. I was talking with you a little bit about it before. I was having internet connectivity problems upstairs at my place for whatever reason, and so went out to the Best Buy. Got AKA Q Branch. Q Branch, right. AKA Q Branch, even though they don't give it to me for free. I tried that one time, it didn't go well. I left out there with these kind of Google Pod things or whatever. You hook up one to the modem and you can set another one up in the house and it kind of expands the network. And I called the network Silverhands. Yes. I was going to say, when you log on, does it go? Anyways, let's find out what our other rookie agent, Pat, DJ Cristados, Samson, regular colored hands, has been up to. What's up, Pat? I don't know if it's going to be exciting as Delvin's is, but maybe a little bit downer. But, you know, you guys know me, so you know more of my personal life and what's going on in my health. So I did get some upgraded gadgets, some wearables, let's say, from mm-hmm. Q Branch recently. I got the type 1 diabetes, so I got a monitor that I can wear, and I got an insulin pump. So I got some really cool gadgets that I I get to play with every day that help me survive. That's excellent. That's good. It's no metal jaws or anything, dude. But (laughs) (laughs) I think instead of jaws, your henchman name should be Sugars. (laughs) Sweet tooth. Well, I'm glad things are getting back on track for you, Pat. We're all very happy about that. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. We're planning on releasing this show monthly as a companion to the show that Van Allen Puxco and Alan Porter are doing. They're currently doing one 007 film per month as we build towards the release date of Bond 25, which has a date, February 14th, 2020. Happy Valentine's Day, everyone. This is the one Valentine's Day I'm actually looking forward to. (laughs) Kind of makes sense. You love him. You need him. He's there for you all the time. James Bond and VD go hand in hand. Yes. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> oh, goodness. That. that was a good one. Hey, thanks, Pat. <laughs> so th- anyway, this show is going to try to do the same thing. We're going to basically follow Van and Alan's show with our rookie agents, getting a fresh look at the 007 series through their eyes. So if you want a more in-depth and sort of academic look into the film series, complete with a host that has an actual British accent, stay tuned to subscribe to listen to on Her Majesty's Secret Podcast. We do the show over here that's goofball. They do the legit show. Enjoy it all, man. If you want academic, go with them. But if you want academic, go with us. Yeah. See, (laughs) I'm sorry. Keep going. Delvin's idiot argument was good. And then then Pat going, yeah, (laughs) is what sold it to me. We also do some other fun spinoff episodes where we do like James Bond celebrity interviews. We've done authors and comic book creators. Lots of good interviews there. We've got the World Cup of Bond films and pretty much so any other 007 whimsy that kind of pops into our head. So basically, Honor Majesty's Secret Podcast is your channel for 360 Degrees of Bond. Let's get to today's film, Moonraker. But before we get our mission brief from Agent Jason, he's going to jump right into the action with no parachute in our yeah. segment called What Makes You Say That? <laughs> I'm now aiming precisely at your groin, so speak or forever hold your peace. 
Here we go. Real quick, if this is your first episode, I don't know why that would be, but if it is, welcome. And what makes you say that? Basically, I give Jason a line from tonight's Bond movie, Moonraker, and he's going to give me the line that came before it. Plenty of other people play the game. I give you a line. You tell me what line comes next. Jason likes to show off, walk the dialogue backwards in his head, and tell us what line came before it. If it doesn't make sense to you now, it will in one second. Jason, how are you feeling? I feel like I'm ready to moonwalker this Moonraker. I've got got only two tonight. I have two. Uh Okay. All right. Here we go. A little premature, isn't it? Ooh. Okay. This is where you get off. Ooh, you're very, very close. I know you've got the scene. This is where you get out. Oh, you're so close. It hurts. This is where you leave us. Ah, you're getting closer. (laughs) You're getting closer. (laughs) I can't remember. Obviously, you've got the scene. It's the pre-title sequence when they're on the plane. She pulls the gun. I'm going to have to lose this one. I can't can't remember exactly. You're super close. I'm giving you partial credit. It's the pilot who goes in line, and he says, this is where we leave you, Mr. Bond. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's close. I think that's close. That's close. I think it's close. That gets a golf clap. Golf clap. All right. All right. That's. I feel like I I feel disappointed. All right. You're you're on the comeback trail. All right. This next one, on one hand, could be tougher because I'm only giving you two words, but I feel like you're going to nail this. So here we go. Okay. The line is definitely not. Ooh, definitely not. Definitely not. I don't know. You're fired me. from the show. You're fired from the show. Thanks for being here. We're dropping the call. <laughs> I don't know. All right. I'll give you a big time hint. Okay. The line is said by Holly Goodhead. I kind of got that. She's just kind of gone through a list of things. Well, actually, Bond's gone through a list of things to which she responds to his questions. Kind of oh, oh, I got it. Now. Oh, is there what, she's, what he says? Not what I want to get stuck with tonight. You're in the ballpark. Cooperation. Oh, Maybe. yeah. Okay. <laughs> and then, so what's trust. the line? He says, yes, trust. trust. There you go. Okay. Trust. All right. All right. Definitely not. Thanks for ruining the show, Jason. Yeah. You brought us all down. Boy, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. I've seen this movie a million times, but man. you really got me with these. I, I was betting, man. I was going to put all my money on your Moonraker skills. I'm glad we don't have money right now. <laughs> I guess. I don't Jason, know what happened. Jason crashed like a space shuttle. <laughs> I did, did, like Moonraker 7. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, it's all fun and games for the audience anyway. So I'm sure they're all mocking you, laughing, shouting at their iPods. If you're not doing that, please make sure you're tweeting it then when this comes out. (laughs) Tweet your shame at Jason at OHPod. Silly head, Jason. You silly head, Jason. Shame. 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 At OHMS Pod and at Weasel Skull is where you're going to want to send your shame tweets to for that. These are highs and lows, man. I feel like Jason's going to come back strong next episode. <laughs> I hope so. I really thought I'd knock him out of the park on this one, and uh, I guess I got a little overconfident. Well, Jason, you can redeem yourself by giving us a really good mission summary, so give us the mission brief on Moonraker, please, Agent Jason. the most exotic locations on Earth, Moonraker will transport you to another world. Trifle overpowering your scent. Holly was a warm girl with the right connections. Could this possibly be the moment for us to pool our resources? We would be better off working together. More excitement, more thrills, more spills. 
and guess who's dropped in for a bite? Jaws is back. to the most spectacular adventure in space, Moonraker. It's out of this world. What exactly are you up to here, Drax? Moonraker 1, liftoff. Moonraker 2, liftoff. Moonraker 3, liftoff. Moonraker 4, liftoff. Entire city in space. James Bond and the treacherous Dr. Goodhead. Despite your efforts, my finely wrought dream approaches its fulfillment. space shuttle belonging to billionaire industrialist Hugo Drax is hijacked and goes missing, Her Majesty's government sends in 007 to investigate. Bond learns quickly that something is amiss when he narrowly avoids multiple attempts on his life. After breaking into Drax's safe, Bond follows the clues to Venice, where after a ferocious hand-to-hand battle with Drax's deadly manservant Chang, 007 discovers the billionaire is funding the development of a lethal nerve agent. Bond teams up with gorgeous undercover CIA agent Holly Goodhead, and together they follow the breadcrumbs to Rio de Janeiro. Unfortunately, Drax has hired a replacement for the deceased Chang and is none other than Jaws. After a hair-raising fight on top of a cable car, Bond narrowly escapes death, but Holly is captured. With some help from Q Branch, Bond follows the clues of the nerve toxin formula to the ruins of an abandoned civilization deep in the Amazon. Bond is shocked to discover that the ruins contain the secret launch 
pads for Drax's space shuttles, and the psychotic industrialist intends to create a city in the heavens while eradicating all life on Earth. Drax soon learns, however, that when Bond and Holly team up, the sky is no longer the limit. The intrepid agents follow Drax and his army to his space station, knock out his radar jamming device, and help lead the U.S. military in a literal out-of-this-world battle. 007 even recruits Jaws to the side of the Angels to help end Drax's evil plan once and for all. Moonraker would be director Lewis Gilbert's third and final turn at the helm for the 007 franchise. Although many critics and fans pan Moonraker as a Star Wars knockoff, the financial results were beyond critique. The movie Moonraked in $62.7 million in North America and $140 million overseas. The cast included Roger Moore as James Bond, Lois Childs as Dr. Holly Goodhead, Michael Lonsdale as Hugo Drax, Richard Keel as Jaws, Bernard Lee as M, Lois Maxwell as Ms. Moneypenny, and Desmond Llewellyn as Q. Back to you, Jared. Well, thank you for that, Agent Jason. And now let's find out what our rookie agents thought about this one in our segment called Declassified. Do you expect me to talk? And we're going to break this movie into a few pieces to get the insights of our rookie agents. And Agent Jason is going to give us his overall insights, along with a few Bond bombs of trivia before leading Agent Delvin and Agent Pat into our scoring round. But we're going to break the rookie review discussion up into the following sections. Pre-title sequence, the song in the opening credits, and then what we call Agent Jared's Choice, where I pick something I think is stand out from this film to get the rookie's opinions on. And their overall opinions of the film will wrap up their inputs. So, rookie agents, what did you think? of our pre-title sequence and this time I think we'll start with Pat. First thing I wrote down on my note is space! (laughs) (laughs) Exclamation mark. Well, there it is. I figured that's going to get written down a lot for this movie. (laughs) More space! This one was a little bit different than the other ones because it still had something to do with the whole story overall. It wasn't like just a little side event. I thought that was kind of very interesting. The skydiving scene was very well done. I liked that a lot. And you got to see Jaws on a plane. (laughs) Then you got to see Jaws in the sky. (laughs) Then you got to see Jaws at the circus. (laughs) I really like this. The opening scene was pretty good. I think what I really liked is that it was tying into the overall story. Excellent, excellent. Okay, Agent Delvin the Dark Whip. I agree a lot with Pat. I find it funny. I'm wondering how Jaws can sneak up on anybody. He's 6 feet 13. Where was he hiding in that? That's what I was going to say. Where was he hiding in that? It's like he's popped up enough these past two movies. Like, like, what? You can't sneak up on anybody. Get, get out of here. So, I mean, that whole scene, you know, there's a repeating thing that happened in the uh, movie uh, that started here at pre-credit. And apparently people don't know how to use guns. <laughs> it's like you don't have to be close to someone to use a gun. And you definitely don't want to walk past a person whose life you just threatened with the gun just sticking out. Anyway, <laughs> the opening was very entertaining. The skydiving scene was cool. It made me smile when Jaws survived again, (laughs) falling into the big top. It's like, at that point, you could just tell that the writers were just having fun with Jaws for whatever reason. They love that dude. And I mean, he's lovable. Yeah, he's a lovable murderer, you know, and vampire type MF. But but yeah, you could tell they did because they kept finding ways to keep him alive. Even so much so that James Bond, when he saw him, would just smile like, (laughs) 
Yeah, I like that part. They became like professional co-workers, you yeah, know. I was like, hey, how you doing? Uh, yeah, they're almost buddies, you know. Like, oh, here to kill me again? Yeah, you know, I go, I do, I do, man. Back to the salt mines. <laughs> That's right. Morning, morning Ralph. Morning, Sam. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for that insight, rookie agents. Let's get a fresh take from you guys on the theme song and the opening credits. Pat, what are your thoughts? This is a song that I have never heard before. So it is called Moonraker, and it's my... I had to look at the credits as it went by to go, who's singing this song? It's like, that voice sounds familiar, and it's Shirley Bassey. Yes! Yeah. It is. So, because I've never heard it before, I had to think to myself, how am I going to rate this? We're going to rate it out of a seven, like we do with the movie overall. Okay. So for okay. this song, I'm going to give it a three. Because oh, I haven't heard it. Delvin's oh, oh, oh. got I a know. lot of love for Shirley Bassey. So that I, I, and, that's, <laughs> and that's fine. I'm, maybe I got to hear something other than something different from Shirley Bassey that maybe, isn't a maybe, Bond song. Maybe you need some Q-tips <laughs> put in your ears and clean them out. Maybe. Who is it actually written by? I think John Barry is our usual composer. I think a guy named Hal David was in on writing it. But yes, it was performed by Shirley sure. Bassey. Very oh. famous for her two previous Bond songs. Mm -hmm. Anyway, go on. Uh, Like I said, I'm giving it a three out of seven. Let's Uh pass it around the conference room here that we have here at the beautiful Rookie Agent Studios. Mm -hmm. You know, this conference room actually folds down and this becomes the pit of a a launch (laughs) (laughs) Don't tell anybody that. Okay, my bad. My bad. Go on with what you were saying. So, let's toss it around the room. Let's go with Jason. It's Shirley Bassey, so she gets credit where credit's due. It's not my favorite out of the three. It's probably my least favorite of the three, but I would still give it a strong four. All right, Jerry. Out of seven? What is- <sighs> this might be the end of a nearly quarter century old friendship. <laughs> this is one of my least favorite Bond songs. I will give it a three out of seven. Oh my God. Oh, see? Oh, thank you. I'm not alone. <laughs> I still like it. I mean, again, with everything we do on the show, we talk about Bond movies we don't like or songs that we don't like. They're still great. It's like the degrees of separation are so thin. <laughs> but in Bond know- Universe, it's a three out of seven. <laughs> when I'm listening to you know, like on CD, it's not like I skip over it. You know, yeah. it's still a good song. But I don't skip to it either. <laughs> That's what I kind of find interesting is because you know you're doing a James Bond song, so you have to put the name of the movie somewhere in this. Sometimes. Most of the time. Sometimes. Well, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, at least it has to kind of have that theme that, you know, you're telling the somewhat of a story about what may happen or something. That's got to be tough to do. Yes, it is. Especially when you're, oh, let's talk about space. It's one of the main reasons that Our Majesty's Secret service is an instrumental because they're like there's no way like, yeah. how do you yeah, 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 secret right. service into a song <laughs> well and i mean <laughs> i think too like i go through my day I'll, I'll hum some bond tunes here and there i never hum moonraker i mean i'll hum man with the golden gun i think we're know? just delaying the inevitable here i think we need to take our <laughs> up and let him yeah. pass the mic <laughs> all right let's see delvin yeah some jujitsu throws here and let's get it over with delvin you guys are disrespectful <laughs> There's no disrespect to her. Inconsiderate to Dame Shirley Bassey. Not I'm not this, I'm not saying it's her. I'm not taking away Shirley her Dame Bassey. hood either. It's Dame Shirley Bassey. You guys are a bunch of silly heads. All three of you. Oh, snap. Ooh, that's harsh words. Ridiculous. Three silly heads, man. I heard the song and I was thinking, this is a very pleasant song. Who is this? And then it came across Shirley Bassey. I'm like, I'm done. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> the, the queen is back. This was great. Homer and me would have 
of just immediately said seven out of seven. But I'm like, you know, considering that she did, did you know, Goldfinger, which is just amazing. Creme, like creme. yes. Yeah, yes. the absolute creme. And it is not Goldfinger. I will bump it down to a five. But a three for the dame? Ugh. You, you, and, and it's you, not on you, her. It's not on her. It, it, to me, it's on. For me, it's the no. It's on the you. lyrics. It's on, it's, it's on you. <laughs> You're I, right. It's not on her, Pat. Yeah. I, I, it's I not have, on her at all. I'm thinking of that line from A Few Good Men at the end, where Jack Nicholson, after he's already found guilty, and he's like, "You effing people." <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm thinking of you guys right now. Ugh. Oh man. Well, we're sorry we let you down. We've had like multiple people quit the show and be fired. So several times. <laughs> Man. Double just I, fired the rest of us. <laughs> I screwed right. up. What That's makes you say that? We, You have besmirched her honor. <laughs> the dame. The dame. <laughs> With that controversy kind of settled, let's move into the Jared's Choice segment. So this is why I want to ask the rookie agents this week. We have just seen the third and arguably final, I think most people would agree, final of what some folks refer to as the Roger Moore knockoff films. That has a negative connotation, doesn't necessarily have to, but my point is this, gentlemen. We saw Live and Let Die, which really cashed in on exploitation's popularity. Mm. We saw The Man with the Golden Gun, which cashed in on the Bruce Lee kung fu craze. And now? we have seen Moonraker, which cashed in on Star Wars. Mm-hmm. There are more knockoff films to come in the series. Some of them not terribly well thought of. I want to get your opinion. If you've got Live and Let Die, Man with the Golden Gun, Moonraker, which one do you think was top notch? And which one do you think was the most lacking? Ooh. And we will start this time with Delvin. Okay. If I'd say one was the worst, then it would be, um, you said the man with the golden gun was supposed to be like Bruce Lee. Influenced from influence. Then I would say the man with the golden gun then would be the worst. And the reason why is because was the man with the golden gun also with that ridiculous scene and Roger Moore beating up the karate kids? Yes. Oh, (laughs) yeah. Fighting the karate school. (laughs) Yes. Oh, Lord in heaven. That was bad. I had a feeling that was going to be your bottom one. It was so, so bad. I would not have bet you money. I, I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> I mean, between that and almost being taken out by tattoo, like, <laughs> like not, not Bond's finest moments. And so if I had to say the best, then like in, in hindsight, that's tough because I remember rating Live and Let Die low. I rated it three. I don't have to look at my notes. I rated it three out of seven martinis, but it was because the plot was all over the place. But just just through this lens, through the lens of influence, I did like it, especially because of some of the facts that we uncovered during the show about how and I'm not going to remember the actor's name who played Mr. Big. The character that they developed for him originally was kind of like a black exploitative joke. And he's like, no, this isn't how we should do this. And they allowed him to rewrite that character. And Mr. Big Kananga was a very credible and awesome villain, you know, went out. <laughs> dumbly <laughs> but as far as like the actual villain that he was was fantastic so I would put Live and Let Die as my best one okay I think that's a fair assessment I think a lot of people 
would agree with you. Yafet Koto played uh, Mr. Big. Yes, Yafet Koto. Thank you. You can enjoy as well in The Running Man with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, yeah, that's or right. Or Alien. Yeah. Or Alien, the first Alien movie. Wait, alternate comment, Jason. Names is for Tombstones, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Agent Pat, what do you think on these, uh, you know, remake-influenced knockoff films? Again, negative connotation. They're not knockoffs, but just influence. Going into this movie, Moonraker, I was like, you guys kept saying, oh, it's a Star Wars knockoff. It's a, you know, they changes around because of Star Wars. I'm like, really? Because you really don't get into the spacey kind of stuff until like just towards the end of the, you know, the last half hour or so of the movie. It's like, I'm waiting for more Star Wars stuff to happen here. More space! Yeah, exactly. I was like, more space! Let's do it! But I gotta put my mindset into that filter. My lowest would have been uh, Live and Let Die. My highest. I think they really did a good job on the space one here. Oh, he's going Moonraker, top dog. Wow, okay. Yeah. Got the variety of it. With the karate in the middle. (laughs) Karate sandwich in the middle. I'm sure we'll talk more about the Star Wars influence and all that in a little bit. So, all right, let's get the highs and lows of the film overall from Agents Delvin and Pat. Delvin, why don't you go first this time? Highs, Drax was immediately established as powerful and creepy. And I thought that before he said the line about seeing some harm come to James. Like, okay. He was already kind of, you know, given that vibe and then kind of jumped out. I was like, ooh, okay, gotcha. He was just a straight up jerk. Who was? Drax. Oh, yeah. Like the, yes. Would you care to join me for your country's one contribution to civilization after New D? What a prick, man. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) But that makes sense, though, because of what his over overall game plan was he was wanting to be i don't know say god or you know he thought he just thought he was all that that he could remake the world he would have a disdain for most things on the planet you know and to include english i guess there were some pretty funny one-liners i actually wrote it down when bond said the trouble is there's never a 70 year old around when you need one <laughs> That was a very funny line. Very smart. One bad. Dufour. One of the Bond girl's names. Yeah, the helicopter pilot. Yes, the pilot Dufour. And she was the one who gave up the secrets, right? I'm sitting there looking and I'm like, okay, you got to know that these dogs are going to be like, get in the cart, girl. At least try. That's faster. Why did you run? Like, uh, I got to <laughs> tell you, man, when I was a kid and I saw that, that scene terrified me. Yes. And, the you know, and I thought the same thing. Why does he get in the cart? Yeah. It's because she got fired. That means she can't use any company equipment anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get away from that golf cart. Yeah. You no longer work here. But Pat, she was already fired, so she could have been like, you know what? Like a little Rick James. F your right. car. I would have kept the cart. Just keep the cart, man. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm taking these pens too. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is not a higher low, but it's a pretty funny joke. I thought when I saw the canal chase, I was like, where is GW Pepper? <laughs> <laughs> you wanted French JW Pepper? <laughs> No, but I mean, I saw an opportunity for a joke and I had to take it. <laughs> There's a low. As soon as they were setting it up, I was like, oh, no, a fight. <laughs> <laughs> I actually thought that. And then more breaks out these karate hands like, oh, God. <laughs> You know, and this is no joke either, because I grew up, like, I was in grade school watching these. So this is how, like, I thought fighting really was. And I got my <laughs> beat a lot in grade school. So thank you, Roger Moore. Hey, someone's always trying to jump up and grab something and then kick with both feet. <laughs> I know, there's nothing Jason, to grab, so I just Jason, got pummeled. Jason learned from the House of Moore. 
Oh, geez. Only thing that's going to get you more of is butt whooping. So I, I made my face. little knife hands thing like he did. <laughs> Didn't matter. Hit you with the Judy chop. chop, chop, chop. <laughs> the whole cable car scene was ridiculous and impossible and dumb. And it was Roger Moore Bond all at once. I'm looking at it. I'm like, yeah, if that were happening in real life, it would be fantastic and cool. But it was still kind of goofy because maybe it was Roger Moore involved and he had to do action scenes. But it wasn't bad. It was like some combination of incredible bad, you know, <laughs> like kind of all in there. That's why I love rookie agents. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Fresh perspective. There's no way that Jaws can jump like that. <laughs> and they do it two times or more in this movie. <laughs> Dude, they didn't even try and fake it. It was I like, you just Jaws doesn't skip leg day. <laughs> I'm laughing because like when I was a kid, it was so plausible. And then when I watched it for prep for the show, I was like, man, they're going to jump all over this. <laughs> they're going to jump on this like Jaws jumps on a cable car. <laughs> yeah. I saw it and was just like, moving on. Just yeah, I know. I know. Like, okay, he made it. Perfect 10. It was a high that between the scene where they were in the ambulance and then like by the time they got to space, I barely took any notes at all. That was a long gap. And I'm thinking, okay, this is cool because my attention was just fully focused and I didn't think there was even anything of note. And I mean, it's in a good way to write down. It was just good action and good pacing. As a space guy, sorry, I got to put on my, my space door cat. They were like parallel courses to lead you to a parallel course would not lead you to the same place. It would forever keep you on different you know never mind i'm just <laughs> keep going yeah, my space nerd in the, <laughs> the circumference of the earth and the rest. i know i know Devin, are you gonna sign up for space force <laughs> you already did <laughs> Yeah, exactly. A major. I already did. I don't need oh, well. this cheap imitation that they're talking about now. I already was already in space. That's Delvin's superhero name. Major Space Force. <laughs> you know, I, actually, that's kind of cool. I know. I think it's cool. I know, man. I'm kind of jealous. <laughs> I can't help it again. Space thing. Vandenberg Air Force Base was mentioned. I was like, yay! I was stationed there. Space! <laughs> save us, Major Williams! I'll save you. <laughs> <laughs> we can just superimpose Delvin's face on that colonel, you know, the one that led the attack. You know? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that actually sounds like those lasers they were using in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, like, call me Major Space Force. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not docking this ship till you call me Major Space Force. <laughs> I will leave us floating forever. Fine, Major Space Force. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, one bad. They destroyed the jammer. Mm-hmm. The jammer was clearly the one piece of equipment on that entire crazy space station that couldn't be destroyed. And they had two people guarding it. <laughs> this is successive guarding. <laughs> It, they weren't even guarding it. They were you, working it. Yeah, what you call that. Yeah. One was sitting there like, I don't know, playing space pong or something at the console. The other was just like staring at his clipboard. Like They, they didn't even have it covered in like a small piece of glass. <laughs> I mean, even like that cup that they had earlier in the museum, as soon as you put your hand on it, it's like, it, not, not, not even that. 
Because <laughs> if you looked at all of the people that were on that shuttle, you know, when they like look back at the cargo, all these people are in like their 20s, maybe 30s. And then here comes Roger Moore, and they'd be like, well, is there an age limit for this thing? <laughs> How did this guy get in? This guy was literally grandfathered into this program. Oh, but to Pat's point that he mentioned earlier, and I actually wrote it down, so this is a compliment to Pat, and it's kind of a bad note. It was one hour, 51 minutes in for a laser fight. <laughs> and yes. for it to be like Star Wars, I mean, I do get that there needed to be a setup, but that kind of took a while. They hinted at it earlier. They showed like one laser kind of being blasted off, but it took basically to the end of the movie for there to be a laser fight. And laser fight is pretty cool to give it a little credit. One good and one question left. The good was, I thought it was very good that uh, James kept his cool and destroying the pods. I'll ignore <laughs> that by the time those pods were launched and by the time he, they would have gotten to him, those pods would have been disintegrated in the earth. And <laughs> never mind. Uh, space! <laughs> space! <laughs> I will end on one question. A big plot twist was Jaws turning to the side of good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Did you buy that? Yes. I can explain that if you need to explain. Yeah, go ahead, Jared. What James Bond did was was point out to Jaws that Drax had this plan to recreate the master race where everyone needed to be physically perfect. And Jaws took a look at his rather undersized girlfriend and looked at his rather oversized and deformed self and realized, I don't fit into this plan. Once this is done, he's going to get rid of me and her. So that's why he turned. I got that. Okay. And I was kind of like, well, freaking Jaws, like he's indestructible, basically. You know, take the mill out of his mouth and, you know, maybe, I don't know, could have had a bunch of giant babies or something. <laughs> you know, it's funny <laughs> you should say that because that was in the novel version of Spy Who Loved Me. Carl Stromberg was actually thinking about breeding Jaws. He actually tried to breed him with Major Amazonia um, in the book. Yeah, it was jacked up. Cool. I am all out of comments. Major Pat? Delvin mentioned that towards the end of the movie, kind of didn't write a lot of notes. Neither did I for the same reason. I was, again, invested in it. And so I'm like, I can't take any notes because I'm busy watching this thing. It does move pretty brisk around the time of that cable car scene. It kind of just goes full speed from there. No pun intended. I would never go on a ride. Why would you get in on that thing? Yeah. Uh, oh, G Force centrifuge. Yeah, yeah. Seemed like a good idea at the time. I think I would have thrown up. I was like, oh, you're going to have to clean that up. <laughs> yeah. He came yeah, out and I'm... she was like, let me help you. And he was like, no, I don't help you. Oh, yeah. yeah. I would have been like, get myself. <laughs> <laughs> I got this everywhere. I can't stop crying. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's why I, mean, I would have cracked myself just to tell me to get into that thing. Yeah, like, oh, I want to hey. go. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> I did not sign up for this. <laughs> this <laughs> thing the... doesn't happen to 005, 006, 008. <laughs> just me. I don't know what I did to M, but he sure got it out for me. <laughs> Somehow the hand of Gary Moneypenny was involved. Yes. <laughs> Get that bitch up to 13. You're going to crank that up. One thing I noticed, too, is safe cracking gadgets have gotten a lot smaller. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Right. Very small. Uh, one thing to learn and that I know of for being a rookie agent is when I'm in samurai mode, not to scream before I go after somebody. <laughs> yeah, just like yeah. stealth all the way up to the point of yeah. attack. <laughs> And, and maybe use just, a real sword. Just, yeah. yeah. Just throw that out there. Maybe not the kendo stick. You know, yeah. it's yeah. the real deal. Yeah. And then every time he had to yell every time, I'm going to hit you. Ah, <laughs> ah, come on. I like also how he got scared. What kind of fighter are you? Like the battle turned just a little bit. And you're like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
He was he worried that Roger Moore was going to grab with both hands <laughs> something above <laughs> his head and then double kick him. <laughs> He's looking up. Is there a pole or something? <laughs> <laughs> it's his trademark move, man. Mm-hmm. Jumped on, grabbed that chain up in the yep, clock tower. We all knew it was coming. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, another fun thing I saw and I kind of laughed at and chuckled is Bond was the inventor of Friends in Low Places before it was actually a real song. Garth Brooks. Garth Brooks. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's a good point. thought that was pretty cool. But another thing I liked is with Jaws, they really used him a lot in this movie. So I have a few more other Jaws things to go through. So I'll just kind of go through my list here is Jaws versus the TSA. Yeah, that's he right. wins. Jaws in a cable car. Jaws in a boat. Jaws versus a waterfall. Winner. Mm-hmm. Jaws. Yep. Very uh, interesting things that they put him through. <laughs> Do you feel like they have a hat with random ideas written in it? Yeah. They're just like Jaws in a circus tent. How are we going to make this work? How are we going to make this work? I really like Drax as just, you know, one of those cool villains again. You're going to do your villainy. You're going to get a cool base and you're going to make sure everybody is wearing the same suits. Uh-huh. You know, and, involved. and he's kind of dressed kind of in an evil. I don't know what kind of outfit you would call that, but it's kind of that gray power suit thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of interesting suit to have on. I'd really like that. You know, if you're going to do it, you're going to go all the way. You're going to get your track suits. They're going to be yellow. Everybody's yellow. And this is what we're doing. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, we, You know, we have a lot of respect for organized track suits on this show. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh-huh. But that way usually leads to madness. Yeah. <laughs> Here we are again. <laughs> and it has. And, you know, if you're going to keep up with a cool layer in Rio, you know, does every layer have to have like a bridge that kind of goes over some water? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's industry Why standard. Not? Okay. I'm just wondering, you know. If you want to get ISO 9000 one certified as a villain, mm-hmm. you got to have the bridge in the water. Yeah, okay. And you know what? If you really want to make it, the water has to have a deadly creature in it. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. And you got to have a countdown Jerry. That, uh, my last note on here is countdown Jerry's here. You yeah, I know you got to have it. I just want to finish off with one thing here, the space battle. I thought that was kind of interesting. They had a bunch of guys go out and they still were yelling really cool yellow spacesuits against the uh-huh. U.S. Air Force. I don't know. what is that the Air Force or the Marines. Space Force? Space Marines. Marines. Yeah. Yeah. Space Marines got out and they, you know, then they got the laser fight going on. And it was pew, 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 pew. I thought that was very cool. It kept me interested. I thought that was a lot better battle than watching the battle underwater. Burning hell. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm done here. <laughs> Just well, had done. to get that dig in there. Well, well done, I will just add some very brief thoughts. Things that I thought were funny. When James Bond shot his rocket wrist launcher, which was a pretty clunky, cumbersome object, by the way. <laughs> always bugged me. He's like, everyone in the field is going to be wearing these now. I was like, Q, this thing weighs four pounds. <laughs> well, strap it on your wrist. But it came in handy. He shot the wrist rocket. He blew up the centrifuge, so he stopped. My favorite part about that is how crestfallen Chang looks. Like, Bond just ruined his whole day. <laughs> just looks so sad. <laughs> I almost felt bad for him. You know, like, <laughs> I was like, oh. Oh, hey, man. You'll get them next time. All right. You get another man. shot. Let's go we'll get your kendo shot. stick. and Yeah. Just don't announce yourself too early when you get your next shot. <laughs> just buck up. I swear the whole purpose of that fight was just to break stuff in the oh, in man. that room. Oh, I think some interesting Bond bombs are on our way. I will also say I have two other things that mildly amused me. Bond arrives at the Drax estate with the lovely helicopter pilot. They walk up. A butler is walking out to the helicopter like as if he's the valet. I'm like, you're valet parking a helicopter? That was odd. You know, just weird. He was like on his way like, toot, toot, toot. I got it from here, folks. <laughs> like apparently everybody's a helicopter pilot. <laughs> interesting. He's going to do it in a tuxedo and everything. And finally, we mentioned this before. I think it's very interesting, maybe space saving technique to put a 
boardroom directly underneath your launch pad. I agree. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's very Ikea, you know? We're just going to put a boardroom in under here. You know, don't screw up your meeting times or that, that could get bad for you. <laughs> Wait, are we not doing the two o'clock this afternoon? Oh, come on, man. Was the two o'clock the board meeting or the launch? <laughs> Don't want to get those two mixed up. Anyway, I had jotted those down because they amused me. Someone said there's a barbecue at two o'clock. <laughs> and I was supposed to be here at two. Where is everybody? Damn it, Jerry. Come down, Jerry. Got me. And counting. Those are my silly thoughts. Jason, give us your quick thoughts and your bomb bombs, please. First off, I've got to have another disclaimer. This one is kind of special to me because this is the first Bond movie that came into the theaters after I was into James Bond. And of course, I'd seen Star Wars and I'd seen the trailers on television for Moonraker. And I was already a Bond fan and I really wanted to go see this movie. And my parents didn't let me go see it, unfortunately. They thought I was still a little too young or maybe they just want to drag me along on date night might be probably more accurate. I like was eagerly anticipating when this finally made it to television and saw it on the, you know, Sunday night at the movies. So that was quite a long wait. And in the meantime, I was out, I was buying like the Moonraker trading cards and there was yes. back when they had like the fan magazines and stuff like that. Nowadays, if you wait like a month, that movie's going to be on DVD or Blu-ray and you can pick it up. But you had to get your fix where you could back then. And so I was reading what I could of of it. And when I finally saw it on television, it was great. So I'm telling you all this just to set the stage that I'm a homer for this movie. But I think, in all honesty, if I look at it objectively, there's some things that I really like. There's a lot of sneaky Bond, yes, which I dug. I thought the space battle was really cool. I get it. It's a knockoff from Star Wars. But as far as the effect and things were concerned, I thought they were really well done. It holds up pretty well today. So I thought that was fun. I love the soundtrack. I love the John Barry music especially when they get the space, they have that dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. You know, that tune really um, does it for me. I thought that was really good. I love the boat chase in the Amazon. I thought that was really well done, and I loved the, how they used the 007 theme in there. So, for anytime. The last time. Yeah. yeah. And that's, bring that back. Yeah, Bond 25. I hope they bring the 007 theme back. And these just kind of, I mean, this movie kind of just had the things that I personally look for in a Bond movie. The 007 theme. It had a good chase sequence. I love the end battle scenes, be it underwater, in space, on a super tanker, whatever. I love those massive battle scenes. So I had a lot to like. The things that really bothered me about it, I hate, I absolutely hate that gondola scene. I mean, that is just so corny and over the top that I wish we could just take that out and forget that ever happened. That's really the one big thing that really bothers me. It needed a JW Pepe. Yeah, yeah. If you're going to have that gondola scene, let's go all in. Throw That's how you boy. Some kind yeah. of Tuesday, how do you say, machine. <laughs> <laughs> On whose side? <laughs> The other thing that really bothers me is that this one is referred to as the third in Lewis Gilbert's monorail trilogy, because you had the monorail and you only live twice and Spy Who Loved Me. But there's no monorail in this one. I mean, that's so like, how do you call this the monorail trilogy if there's no monorail? Hey, Jason, I have to interrupt really quickly. Perhaps 
for a half second, I was like, oh my God, was there a monorail? And I didn't see it. <laughs> well, you know what? Because I thought the same thing. I hadn't seen this movie in a little while. And I thought, oh, I think, you know, they had a monorail in the, they're in the space station or in the Amazon base there. But no, they had like cars, train cars, but yeah. it wasn't a monorail. So that bothered me a little bit. But overall, I still really love this film. I got to admit, I know critics don't like it. Usually kind of falls near the bottom of most people's top Bond movies. But I got a little special place in my heart for this one. So with that, I give you these three Bond bombs. And number one's kind of a little bit sad. This would be Bernard Lee's final portrayal is in. He passes away during pre-production of For Your Eyes Only. Oh, no. So, yep. So we lose Bernard Lee on this one. Man, he, he was great. He was freaking awesome. I like every time I saw him, he was great. Any interaction he had with James Bond and Monty Penny and Q, they were all great. Yeah, and I have to admit, and maybe we'll make this an official question later for the rookies when we get through them all, but he was is still my favorite M out of all of them. So let's cheer it up a little bit here for Bond Bomb number two. And this one surprised me. I didn't know this until I looked it up. Moonraker is the only 007 film in which you never see Bond's Walther P. PK or P99 from the later films. You never see Bond sidearm during this movie. And then the final one, and Delvin kind of touched on this, the fight between Bond and Chang has the largest amount of breakaway glass ever used in a single scene. (laughs) (laughs) Would you say it shattered the record? Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) Pat, Pat, give me a good one. Give me a good one, Pat. That's a good one, Jerry. (laughs) Yeah. Hooray! <laughs> and with those 007 trivia nuggets safely tucked away, it's time to have our rookie agent score this film. Jason, make it happen. Delvin, 17 martinis. I will give it a five. Five or seven martinis. Good story in action. I thought it would be bad because I think I saw like maybe a marquee or something that I think maybe you show Jason on Twitter. And I saw it and I'm like, this looks bad. Is this going to be bad? But like, no. The poster, the movie poster. Yes, the yeah, movie poster. Me, yeah. Just judging it off the poster, I thought it was going to be bad. Like, And then knowing that this was movie was quickly made to kind of capitalize on some of the Star Wars stuff, I thought it would be bad. But I thought it held up pretty well and I enjoyed the movie. I thought it was a lot of fun. Van Plexico is going to be very happy to hear that. Yeah. I like it more and more every time I see it, to be honest. Five martinis from Delvin. Not bad. Not bad at all. Pat, what are your thoughts here? How many martinis from you? I'm going to agree with Delvin. I'm going to give this a five martinis. I really enjoyed it. I thought there was a lot of action in it and the story was very good from beginning to end. Kept me interested. Well, Jared, sounds like Moonraker might be making a comeback. And you said it too. The more times I watch this, the more I enjoy it. If you had asked 25-year-old Jared, I would have probably said two martinis on this, but uh, I know I'm not giving scores, but I think I'd be in the ballpark these guys the more I watch it. I, you said something that really hit home with me. You actually texted it to me. You say, if we get rid of that gondola scene, this is a pretty good movie. And I think you're right. The gondola makes no sense. So like, hey, Q Branch, make a gondola car that also has a, a boat motor. Okay, that kind of makes sense. Oh, also hovercraft. Like, what? What? Q's going, I knew this would come in handy. <laughs> I knew it. Well, thank you all for that. And now it's almost time to crown this episode's double O award winner in the trivia round. Pat and Delvin are going to do this by answering a series of trivia questions on Moonraker. And Delvin is our current champion. But before we do that, let's take a quick break and thank our Patreon sponsors. 
White Rocket Entertainment. We can't get this done without you guys. We really appreciate it. The list is growing. Mm-hmm. That is good. But I'm going to read it as fast as I possibly can so we get back to the action. But we still want to seriously say thank you guys so much for helping keep the James Bond ship going here. So thank you to Brendan O'Dwyer, Christopher Burleson, Joseph Fine, Brandon Sisson, Phil Amthor, Susan Trawick, Ben Spooner, Stephen Thompson, Chris Usher, yeah. Yeah. Justin Bean, Steve Trawick, Richard Stevens, Valiant Hermes, Jacob and Robin Fleming, Clay. Henson, Auburn Tiger Top, Ann Kanjian, Catherine England, George Gaston, Will Summerford, John McCune, Tom Anderson, David Evers, Andrew Barber, Timothy, Steve Harlan, Dan Thompson, Wes Atkinson, Rich Reimer, Gerard Albrich, William Glenn Matthews, Joel Beckham, David Hegler, Mickey B, Hugh Anderson, Shane Bailey, Matt Raubenheimer, Mick Vigicana, Chris Thrash, Logan Chilton, Tony Perry, Alex Gwynn, Josh Teal, David Simpson, Earl Ricks, Mike Finley, C.T. Wayne, Michael Kirshner, Dave Powell, Chris Camo, Darren Pyle, Chris, Wardam Wade, Jason Albrick, Randall Walker, Ben Amos, Joshua Corbett, Ruth and Darren Sutherland, Patrick Williams, Rob Morgan, Stephen Schuster, James Taylor. How sweet it is to be loved by you. Nailed it. John Stubbs, Kenneth Brent Rains, Nicholas Craig. You ain't got to lie, Nicholas Craig. I can't. Anyway, Russell Milling, Matthew Wagstaff, Joey Miller, Mark Squire, Dave Beditis, Spanky, Brant Rumble, J.W. Pepper Rice, Michael Morton, and Lawrence Kane. His name isn't really Pepper Rice. His name is J.W. Rice, but I couldn't help myself. <laughs> Plus, thanks to our one-time and anonymous donors. And if we miss anybody, please hit us up on Twitter at OHMSPod or email us at OHMSPod at Outlook.com and get us set straight on that. And if you'd like to help dry clean the interior of our submersible Lotus Esprit, <laughs> you too can help sponsor the show over at patreon.com just search the keyword plexico and you can give as little as a dollar a month to help keep agent jason stocked with union jack parachutes and like those other folks whose name you just heard you'll get a shout out on every episode of all the white rocket entertainment shows including this one as a patreon you'll also get bonus material behind the scenes information on all white rocket endeavors including our novels comic books and more all right now that we got our bills paid let's kick it to jason to set up trivia all right all right this is what everybody's been waiting for let's find out who this mission is trivia double o award winner is going to be so he can lord it over the other guy until the next episode agent jared and i have each prepared three questions for a total of six we'll take turns asking each of our contestants a question you get it right that's one point you get it wrong your opponent has an opportunity for a steal sneaky bond style most points gets you the coveted double o award a ticker tape watch and a date with a russian agent who may or may not poison you with her cigarettes while supplies last not available in all areas. So let's start the segment we like to call Agents Under Fire. Well, I understand double O's have a very short life expectancy. Oh boy, we've got a fun one tonight. We're doing a theme tonight. Tonight's theme is location, location, location. Oh. All the answers have to do with locations, people. We were going to do transportation, but... <laughs> didn't <laughs> seem fair. Didn't seem fair to Delvin. <laughs> so tonight's location, location, location. I believe Delvin is our current champion. Delvin, would you like to go first or second? I don't feel strong about this at all. <sighs> I'll go second. Pat, who's going to read the questions for you? I'm going to say I'll have Jared and Delvin can have Jason. All right, Pat, you're going first. Delvin deferred to second. Second, and okay. I've got your question. Location, location, location. What U.S. state is Drax's estate and the assembly plant for all his Moonraker shuttles located in? California. That is correct. You're easy. Knows how to party. 
All right, let's put an end to this. <laughs> All right, Delvin, see if you You went full Jason on you. <laughs> you know, it's really annoying when somebody else does that. <laughs> That's funny when I do. All right, Delvin, what European city is Drax's laboratory for creating his toxin in? Venice. Correct. Cool. Medium round. I am not gonna mention. It. <laughs> oh my god! You're not sounding confident here, Delvin. <laughs> Sounded like me. Uh, what makes you say that? I pulled that out of a dark place. Pat, <laughs> <laughs> medium round. Name I'm- the city where the shipping company is that's sending the poisonous globes to Drax's lab. I don't know. I, somehow I, got, I just got Brazil on my mind, but that's a, I don't know. Delvin? You're going to say Brazil. I'll piggyback and say Rio. Ding, 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 oh. ding, 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 Oh, Delvin, all of a sudden you're in the catbird seat. So here's your medium round question, Delvin, for the lead. He's got the lead. Two to one right now. What country did Drax import his home from? France. I know that one. Correct. Man, you need to have one of them comeback rounds like you did last time, Pat. I don't know. These locations are tough on me. The odds are good here. You have a one in seven chance because the question is, what continent was 007 returning from in the pre-title sequence? I don't know. These locations have gotten me. Delvin? So here's the funny thing. I actually rewound the video to hear because I couldn't catch the name that was mentioned because the asshole was Bond. And for, at least for my ears, it's like on the mm-hmm. Attican job. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, so I don't know where Attican is, but I'm going to guess Europe. Oh, you should have gone with phonics there, my friend. <laughs> is 007 back from that African job? Africa. Uh, but you've already sewn up the win, but Jason, let him hit a home run here at the end. Name the territory that the shuttle lift plane from the pre-title sequence crashed in. Thankfully, I know this. It crashed in the Yukon Territory. Very Hold good. No. Mr. Showoff. Mm-hmm. Check out the brain on Delta. <laughs> <laughs> I did better than I thought I did, especially from that first question. <laughs> Well, congratulations to Delvin. I believe you're a three-time winner now. Pat, yeah. track together. No, you're These good. are tough. You're getting tough. Keep your act apart. It's all right. <laughs> Delvin. I, you know what I think it is? It's because I'm watching the movie more than I'm taking notes now. You know, and that's fine. I want you to enjoy these. I want that to be the priority over winning the trivia. Mm-hmm. Me, oh, too. That's what I, <laughs> me too. Me <laughs> too. Delvin, do the right and proper thing and lord this over Pat until you meet again next episode. You want it. You keep it. Old buddy. And now for our final segment of the show entitled Return Fire. During Return Fire, our rookie agents Pat and Delvin get to toss Jason and I a trivia question they brought with them in an attempt to stump the double O experts. Jason and I are not competing with one another. In fact, we're trying to help each other to escape this return fire attack from the rookie agents. So let's get going with Return Fire. This never happened to the other fellow. All right, Pat, drop us a question. On the safe, what was the time on Drek's safe? On the clock face, said what time? Dude, that was my question. (laughs) (laughs) There were eight clock chimes, but it was 12.05 on the safe clock. What's your answer? 
1205. Jared, are you going to go with his 1205? Uh, well, I mean, I might as well throw out another guess. 1205 is right, Jared. Okay, 1205. Oh, I have 1210. It was 1210 when he closed it. It was 1205 when he opened it. Oh, my God. See, now, I got to defer to Jason on this one because... His, his level of confidence. Yes. His confidence alone. I'm like, dang. I wrote 1213, and I'm like, maybe... 12.05 when he opened it, 12.10 when he closed it. Well, Delvin, what you got? Are you? Did you bring a second question? Because <laughs> you had the same one. Yeah, I tell you what, Jason, if you deliver it as confidently, it could be wrong. And I'm just, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> I was watching that scene and I was listening to the gongs. And I was like, somebody's going to ask me how many gongs were going on while he was walking through this house. And I heard eight gongs. And I was like, that's kind of early to be in the house to be that quiet. And then when he went to the safe, I looked at the clock and I was like, that's only 12.05. And I was like, like, oh, that could be a question. So I wrote 12.05 down as well. And then I noted also it was 12.10 when he closed it, when he was finished taking his pictures and everything. That was all you I might have messed up the quotes at the beginning, but I'm confident on this one. Okay, I have a question. So as we know, uh, Moonraker crashed in the Yukon. When this was brought up on the screen, what was the level of classification given? That most secret. <laughs> yes, it was most <laughs> Secret. <laughs> His location was 63 degrees, 20 minutes, 48 seconds north, 136, 15 degrees, <laughs> minutes, 10 seconds west. Any other you know, questions? Yeah, you know no, all this, no but you don't know. <laughs> I think the problem was I was so caught up in getting all the minutia, I wasn't listening to the dialogue. Now I think I've diagnosed what, <laughs> where I went wrong. All those answers Jason has is strictly what I'm going to call FOP, which is fear of Pat. <laughs> <laughs> if there's I a number, I was writing too. it down, man. Wow, 2543 was a combination for the save. I wrote down the combo to get into the lab, even though I don't technically show you hit him the last number, but based on the tone. <laughs> Oh, the tone, yeah. One, two, five, eight, nine. I'm That's what I wrote down as well. That yep. does bring up a cool thing that they use that. Mm-hmm. That was kind of cool that they used that sound. And then there was another sound that they used that was kind of spacey, I think, earlier before that sound. Oh, yeah, when he did the horn. Yeah. That one? Yeah, that was kind of spacey, too. Like Yeah, when they were doing the pheasant hunting. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't even talk about that scene. You missed Mr. Bond. Did I? Did I? <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute. Don't the cops have to get him all? <laughs> Murder, man. <laughs> Just murdered that dude on oh, that guy's lawn. And why did the dogs go after that one? That was like, hey, that's easy picking right there. <laughs> Nicely done, guys. Agent Jared, what do we have in the eyes only mailbag this week? What, no small talk? No chit chat? Oh, thank you, Jason. As a reminder to our audience, if you'd like to be a part of the show, you can send us your questions, comments, or trivia challenges to ohmspod at outlook.com or over on our Twitter page at ohmspod. If you'd like, you can even use the email. And as a reminder, that's ohmspod at outlook.com and send us an audio recording of your question or comment. We'd love to hear from you and make you part of the show. Also, if you are an iTunes listener, we'd greatly appreciate it if you left a review for the show. That will help raise the show's profile and attract more of the 007 
Seven family to this program. As a reward for leaving a review, we'll read your entire review on an upcoming episode of MI6 Rookie Agents. Which leads us to our semi-regular feedback segment, Q's Research and Development Team, better known as Rad for their Rad Thoughts on Bond. So here we have our fellow podcasters and friends of the show, Ruth and Darren from their Rad Adventures Network. Now, normally, Rad stands for Ruth and Darren, but here on our 007 show, it stands for Q's Research and Development Team. So let's get to this episode's Rad Thoughts on Bond. I'm Ruth. And I'm Darren. Of the Rad Adventures Network. We're with Research and Development Q Branch, and we're here to share our thoughts about Moonraker from 1979. At the end of 1977's The Spy Who Loved Me, we were told that James Bond would return in For Your Eyes Only. However, the huge international success of Star Wars, which was also released in 1977, caused the producers to change their minds and instead film an adaptation of the sci-fi-influenced Moonraker. However, For Your Eyes Only was only briefly delayed and was the next Bond film released in 1981. The decision to film Moonraker at the time was definitely a good one. Taking advantage of the interest in science fiction at the time of its original release, Moonraker was very popular and became the highest-grossing James Bond film until the release of GoldenEye in 1995. However, over time, Moonraker has suffered the opposite effect of On Her Majesty's Secret Service. That film has grown in popularity and critical acclaim over time, while Moonraker has generally fallen in popularity among Bond films, both with fans and critics. The film does have some great things to offer, though, including Academy Award-nominated special effects by Derek Meddings, some beautiful filming locations, and the ever-charming Roger Moore. But the film suffers from odd attempts at humor and some plot problems that make the film feel uneven. The film features several homages to other science fiction movies, including the music from Close Encounters of the Third Kind to open the lab door in Venice, while Thus Spoke Zarathustra, which is the theme from 2001 A Space Odyssey, is played during the pheasant hunt. Richard Keel was great as Jaws in the previous Bond film, and the character was so popular he returns in this film. However, the production company received so many fan letters about Jaws from children that they decided to have the character transition from a villain to an ally during the film with mixed results. Initially, the producers didn't think that audiences would accept the relationship between Jaws and Dolly because of the extreme height difference between Richard Kill and the French actress Blanche Ravalec, but changed their minds when Richard Kill pointed out that his real-life wife was exactly the same height. Interestingly, Tom Mankiewicz, who worked on the scripts Two Diamonds Are Forever, Live and Let Die, and The Man with the Golden Gun, wrote a more serious adaptation of this script. But while his script wasn't used for the movie... Several scenes from it were used in later Bond films, including the opening sequence at the beginning of Octopussy and the Eiffel Tower sequence in A View to a Kill. And now it's time for 007 Hits and Misses, when we share our thoughts on two low points and seven high points in the film. We love Venice, and a boat chase in Venice is a perfect idea and should be very exciting. But sadly, it comes off rather uninspired, and it ends somewhat laughably with a gondola that turns into a car which isn't nearly as exciting as a car that turns into a submarine as in the previous movie. Sadly, this is definitely a low point for me. For my low, I'll choose the scene following the cable car fight. We've just seen Bond defeat the towering and very capable Jaws, only to have him easily knocked unconscious by a nondescript henchman disguised as an ambulance driver. It's just one of many examples of how uneven this film is. And now it's time for our top seven hits. Number 7. The opening sequence of the shuttle launching from the back of a jet. There's mystery, intrigue, and action. It's a perfect opening for a Bond film. Number 6. The spectacular freefall from a plane as Bond stays cool under pressure and manages to take a parachute from a villain, followed by an encounter with Jaws, 
It's a fantastic series of aerial stunts. Number five, the exciting sequence with the G-Force machine. There's actually a realistic setup for how Bond is left alone for Chang to sabotage the machine. And I like that Bond was able to save himself using the dart gun from Q. Number four, at the pheasant hunt when Drax tells 007, Missed Mr. Bond, and he responds, Did I? It's a terrific line because we all know that while Bond missed the pheasant, he shot the sniper, which is exactly what he was aiming at. Number three, the boat chase at Iguazu Falls on the border of Brazil and Argentina that ends with Bond flying away using a hang glider while Jaws plummets over the waterfall. Number two, the fight between Bond and Jaws on the cable cars high above Rio de Janeiro. This was my favorite scene when I first saw this movie in the cinema, and it's still a great sequence. And in a bit of trivia, I'll mention that the cable that Jaws bites through at the beginning of the sequence was made of licorice, and I love licorice. And number one is the amazing filming locations in Venice and Brazil. Sugarloaf Mountain in Rio de Janeiro, as well as St. Mark's Square and the beautiful canals in Venice are really used to great effect as wonderful background locations for the action and adventure of Moonraker. Thanks, as always, to our friends Jared, Jason, Delvin, and Pat for letting us share our thoughts. Remember, we're RAD, R-A-D, which is short for Ruth and Darren, and Research and Development. Ruth and Darren. I don't really have anything to add. <laughs> I love Flickers, too. <laughs> good stuff. Yeah, that was good. It is interesting to see that it was a top moneymaker in the Bond franchise until yeah, GoldenEye, but it's kind of getting that reverse effect. I did think that was very interesting. Hmm, I noticed that as well. I was wondering if it was sort of that effect of like Cool Kids Club, like Moonraker brought in a whole bunch of new viewers, and I wonder if all the old Bond heads didn't like the new people that showed up, you know? Oh, oh you, know, maybe you showed was... up because you like Star Wars. You don't actually love James Bond, you know, type of deal. Because that's how, that's the voice I would use, and that's what I'd say, so... I use my voice when I go to a Marvel movie. It's like, you guys read the comic books. God dang it. (laughs) (laughs) Y'all posers. Posers. You're all posers. Yeah, Ruth and Darren. Good stuff as always. I like the other little extra tidbits and stuff that they add there. Very good. To be honest, when I watched it again for this podcast, I thought, this was a fine Bond movie. Yeah, I mean, I thought, well, I wonder if it's lowered expectations. You kind of recalibrate. So like you and I would go in and we start to appreciate it more and more as we recalibrate our expectations. But the rookie agents liked it. So that kind of throws that out the window. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. That's what, again, one of the benefits of having Delvin and Pat watch this for the first time and getting that fresh perspective. And next up, let's check in with Agent Z from the Netherlands and see what kind of cool sound clip he put together for us this time around. Roll that Agent Z footage. agents this is Don Zuidemann calling in for the Moonraker episode. I'm gonna keep it brief and simple because I think this film is quite complex enough itself already. So it's been directed by Lewis Gilbert who also directed You Only Live Twice and The Spy Who Loved Me and I believe he basically made the same film three times and his three films are also commonly known as the monorail trilogy of the James Bond films. And this is what I want to ask you about. Um, His three films have wonderful villainous lairs. Uh, Of course, we have the hollowed-out volcano in uh, You Only Live Twice, and then we have the oil tanker, the Liparis in The Spy Who Loved Me, and the space station in Moonraker. 
but there have been a few other layers that you've seen in other films so far. For instance, Kananga's cave in Live and Let Die, and of course, Peace Gloria in Majesties, and perhaps even Dr. No's layer um, on the island Crab Key. So, my first question is, what has been your favorite villainous layer so far? And directly related to that, in my second question, what has been your least favorite layer and why? What was that layer lacking? And then finally, if you could design your own villainous layer, what would it look like? What would it need? Does it need a monorail? Okay, gents, that's it for this time. Keep up the good work and I'll be back. Bye. So he wants to know what your favorite layer is, what your least favorite layer is, and what's a must-have if you were to make your own layer. And that's just up to this point, right? Yes. Okay. I feel like Jason should go first while the rookie agents think about this. (laughs) (laughs) My mind gravitated originally towards the volcano cave and you only live twice. I think it's very cool. Having said that, however, if I was going to have a baller bad guy layer, I want Francisco Scaramanga's island. And Man with the Golden Gun. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Least favorite? Thus far, I would have to say Goldfinger's Kentucky home. I mean, not that there was anything wrong with it per se, but it just seemed like pedestrian. I don't know. Maybe it's because it's in Kentucky I'm and saying, I'm familiar if, with it. You're master layers in Kentucky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. I mean, come you you on, can get man. a lot of land for cheap, guys. I mean, you're not I looking at the big picture. I'm not saying that it's bad. <laughs> to me, it was the prices are skyrocketing. It was a good investment, man. But I'm going to stick with that one. What's one thing you have to have in your lair? I think the one thing that I really like about Scaramanga's lair is that there's solitude, man. He can just go back and chill. It's just him, knick-knack, and that buffed-out maintenance <laughs> dude. So he can wander around all day there and not have to talk with anybody. You know, if you're in that volcano lair, you got all these little red-shirted guys and yellow-shirted guys. <laughs> Guys, and just running into him, it's like you know you're trying to go to the kitchen, and there's like a line on steak and lobster night. No, man, I want my beach where I can sit there, have my little knickknack dude run me out some oysters and some Guinness, and chill out between my hits. I like the solitude. It'd have to be an island. That's what I'm gonna say. It has to be an island. Which of my rookie agents is ready with a thought on this? I'll go. Why not? Looking at the last layer from Moonraker, I mean, come on. The layer itself, that's pretty cool. It was in space, technically. Well, let me stop you right there. <laughs> I thought about that one. If you exactly. looked around, you pretty much saw James Bond and Holly walk that whole space station. And there was an S to do up there, man. I think if I would have been in part of that program and got up there, I would have been like, you know what? I'm having second thoughts. <laughs> Well, they're coming back. (laughs) Yeah, but, you know, it's going to take a while. I don't know. And so while you're up there, your job is to procreate. You get to (laughs) grab it. (laughs) I guess that's true. I guess I would have to kidnap a British agent and bring her to my island. (laughs) There is a flaw in my theory. According to what I saw. (laughs) Yeah. I I was going to say, you can't do that. That's assault, brother. (laughs) 
Anyway, so, it's all right. Space Station. Go for it. I thought the Space Station uh, was pretty cool. You get to go up there. You see space. That's not something many people get to do. Get to watch the Earth get poisoned to death. Then you get to come down and repopulate. So, hey, that's like an island getaway of sorts. Morbid. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, that's true. And the layer I thought of that was the least would be uh, Kananga's. And that was just the one that Coral Jr. just went around and blew up really quickly. I mean, of course, that's what I'm thinking of. I'm not thinking of his cave one, but I didn't think the cave was that great either. Yeah. It just seemed a little bit generic, uh, especially compared to some of the other ones that uh, you got Baron Somdi running around going, (laughs) (laughs) like, just trying to get some peace and quiet around here. (laughs) Would you like a (laughs) 7-Up? Chris Ben Clean with no caffeine. (laughs) (laughs) Go sit over here on the couch and, oh, whispers on the couch. (laughs) (laughs) There's one couch and damn whispers always on it. And then whisper, you're trying to sit on the couch with, hey, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on the one hand, you got, ha, 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 ha. And then on the other hand, you got, pause, there's someone on the phone. What? <laughs> there's someone on the phone. What? He'll the last. You back. <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. The We're never going to get this <laughs> That agency asked about was, what would I want? And I need a foolproof escape hatch because at some point, <laughs> Bond's going to come in there and blow it up anyway. And you don't need some long way of egress that you got to go to this pod or whatever. You need to like press a button and like teleport away or something so Bond can't catch you <laughs> because mm-hmm. otherwise you did. So dead. you need a teleporter in your yes. <laughs> yes. You, you need like an instant teleportation, get teleport you somewhere else that bond isn't and you can escape you think i'm gonna go with jason i like scaramanga's place you know mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. You, okay. the other places you know you don't get to see the sun that much it's kind of you know enclosed at least you got a nice beach you can go out and relax on yeah, yeah. a great beach yeah. great weather yeah a nice roomy home it looked like you had some different stuff going on in there so yeah i'd choose that one i wouldn't want the water one because i'd be afraid like it there'd be a leak and then you know next thing you know i'm drowning <laughs> Yeah, it was like, bad news, boss, there's a little dead. We're out in the middle of nowhere. Oh, man. And although the water one seemed cool, it just it seemed like there was only really one cool yeah, room. that's true. But there was always food there, so that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that dude's eating like a king, no doubt. Yeah, that's true, too. Yeah, I guess that would be the one I wouldn't want. A little claustrophobic. There was an area where it would open up and you can be out while you're kind of raised up. But when you go down, mm-hmm. you got to make sure, oh, did somebody close the door? Make sure the water don't come in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Countdown, Jerry. Did you catch that door? Hey, well, whoa, and then whoa, that brings up whoa. a good that brings up down. a good point. Yes, the door is closing in ten. <laughs> exactly nine. That would be what I be what I want. <laughs> <laughs> my yeah, Jerry. my layer Anyways. has to have a, a countdown, Jerry. I want a countdown, Jerry. Even though it's got a countdown, Jerry, I'm going to say I probably the one I least want would be the oil platform. Be cool for a couple of days, but then you're just like, I'm on a platform off of Baja, California, and I ain't got nothing in Baja. Yeah, so. yeah, that's true. Favorite one? I don't fear the closed spaces. I think I'd take Stromberg's underwater because yeah. it also goes above water. But you know, Pat's right. You have to keep an eye on things, so that's, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I just like the style of it. it seemed really well decorated. And it brings me to what I think every villainous layer must have, which is sharks. Every villain layer needs to have a shark. Shark drop. There you have it, Agent Z. Another fine question answered. And I believe we got a little something from our friend Agent I, Joseph Iliff. And let's see what Joseph sent in this time around. This is Agent Joe Iliff with your Fleming connection for the movie Moonraker. This was the last Fleming novel that the producers had the right movie rights to at the time it was made. 
that hadn't yet been made into a movie, but not much of the substance of the novel was used. And the movie is similar to the films You Only Live Twice and The Spy Who Loved Me. Moonmaker completes what some fans call the monorail trilogy with those other films, as the villains all use monorails to further their evil plot. The biggest connection to the novel Moonraker is the villain Hugo Drax. In the novel, he is wealthy and famous and has an honored public image, but is secretly sinister and devious, which is how he is portrayed in the movie. Another notable connection to the novel is that Drax has a mole within his organization. In the novel, it is a Scotland Yard policewoman named Gala Brand, and in the film, it is CIA agent Holly Goodhead. Despite this being the last movie based on a novel for quite a while, the next few movies do use materials from several Fleming short stories, so we'll have more connections to 007's literary origins coming up. Until then, follow me on Twitter at SeekOutWisdom for more Bond knowledge. Agent Iliff, signing out. And thank you, Agent I. We love that you're a part of the show, man. Good stuff. Great to have you on board, Agent I. Yep. You guys are what to make this happen. I, know, I love the interactive audio stuff. Send it in, folks. We love to play it. We love it. It is actually kind of one of my favorite part of the show. Yeah. Everybody kind of brings something different that we haven't talked about. Yeah. Or a different way a, of looking at it. It's fun to just kind of hear other people's thoughts on it and the passion. And it's really cool that it's worldwide, too. So it's just a lot of fun. And even if they do repeat something that we already mentioned on the show that just kind of underscores how universal it is so yeah and if it's if i said it first it makes me look really smart that's right well let's head on over to twitter real quick we do have a couple of twitter comments we do have some stuff from agent i agent i had a question for the rookie agents he says much of moonraker is similar to the spy who loved me and he wants to hear what the rookies think about these large-scale 007 saves the world kind of movies because we've seen him do some more smaller scale spy stuff and the next movie up is another small-scale movie. He wants your opinion on sort of the big Bond saves the whole world versus maybe Bond just does a small espionage thing. So what are your thoughts on that, Pat? I think I like the smaller ones, not the whole big saving the world ones. They get to be a little more extravagant and just kind of, I think when they do that, it gets a little more out there. The smaller ones, it's more kind of down-to-earth and more more sneaky, sneaky Bond. Delvin, your thoughts are on Agent I's question? I agree with Pat. I think it's more plausible that a secret agent would be doing more smaller level things that you may not have ever heard of as opposed to doing something like jumping into a space shuttle and taking out killer pods to save the world. I mean, it's cool, of course, on the silver screen, but I'm just thinking more practically. Like, you got spies doing stuff all over the globe that you'll never hear those stories. And I think the smaller level probably works a little bit better for Bond than the big ones just because it's more believable. Oh, let's take another Twitter comment. We got one from our friend Chris at BTO and Bat Books. Let it roll. Let it roll. On the highway. That's my segue. Well done. Chris from BTO and Batbook says, looking forward to the Moonraker episode. This is the first movie I saw in the theater. He said he won tickets to it on a radio contest. That is cool. Yeah, you don't hear that often. And we have one more Twitter comment from Logan Morford. And Logan says, love the locations in this one. Moonraker is one I just seem to forget about for a long time. And then I revisited it last year. And I think it's meant to be fun and not taken too seriously. And I'd have to agree with that, Logan. It's, it's a fun film. 
I agree with that too. I mean, yeah. and once you go to that world spectacle kind of like that, it kind of has to get a little bit crazy. For instance, <laughs> how quickly did the United States scramble a shuttle? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> with like space marines hour? train space marines <laughs> like, come on if, you know what never mind keep going, keep going. <laughs> and what kind of security did they have to let those two guys hijack the shuttle in the beginning and why was it fueled up full of rocket fuel <laughs> <laughs> and oh by the way do you have any idea how hard it is to fly a shuttle they don't fly like planes it's like controlled chaos trying to land one of those things. Hmm. All the shuttle guys always say it's like a brick with wings and you're just doing your best to get it down there. Wow. Yeah. But having said that, at the end of the day, it was like taking Star Wars and taking James Bond and throwing it in a blender and putting it up on the screen. And it was pretty awesome. Yeah. Enjoyed it. That will bring us to a close on this episode of MI6 Rookie Agents. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this crew and want to hear more from them, but in the realm of comic books, check out The Longbox Crusade. Pat, where can that be found? You can find The Longbox Crusade at Longbox Crusade on the Twitter or at Longbox Crusade on the Facebook or at www.longboxcrusade.com. Back to you. Thank you, Pat. And thanks to the fellows for taking on yet another dangerous mission. Thanks to the listeners who tuned in. If you'd like to leave a question or a comment on this or any of our other episodes, feel free to contact the show on Twitter at OHMSPod or email us at OHMSPod at Outlook.com. Or you can contact any of us directly on our social media. My contact info is at Yard Sale Artist, and you can find me at Yard Sale Artist on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. What about you, Agent Jason? You can find me as Jason Albrick on Facebook or Instagram or at Weasel Skull on Twitter. How about you, Pat? You can find me on the Twitter at Christatos zero one. Delvin? You can find me on Twitter at D-E-E underscore R-A-Y one nine seven seven. We hope to hear from you guys soon. The next episode of MI6 Rookie Agents will feature my brother's personal favorite film and he's not wrong for it. For your eyes only. And remember, on Her Majesty's Secret Podcast, much like Delvin's things he shouldn't have said, will return. (laughs) Hopefully, the Google network works. It extends it and makes it a little bit better. And if it doesn't, then I'm Jerry, just can you hear Delvin anymore? You're an asshole. Don't. You, you <laughs> <switch that up. laughs>
I do not condone this in any way. Jason, is that you? I can hear you. Who else? Uh, yeah. I don't know. We can't hear jokers. <laughs> Since we're all here, can I be a diva for a minute and point out a possible hiccup I have in our schedule? No. No. <laughs> okay. Th- thanks for that, Pat. I'm just busting his balls. I know you've been doing other stuff, Samson. I'm just busting your balls. I love you. Mm-hmm. I do. I've always <laughs> loved you. I was getting below, like, I was getting close to 80. Sounds like you're acting like an 80-year-old man. Yeah. You know it. Screw you, Albert. I'm going to get rid of you, too. <laughs> You know what you should do? You should be taking a note right now. You know what you should do? Don't tell me what to do. <laughs> you know what you should do? Look at these nuts. Oh. <laughs> oh we used to be polite to each other. I love going back and listening to my first appearance. Like, oh, I'm sorry. You t- I'm sorry. You talk. <laughs> now we're like, shut up. You shut up. <laughs> these nuts. I kind of forced her to listen to our uh, the Saturday matinee theater in the car while we were traveling out to Soap Lake. <laughs> she said, you like to hear yourself talk, don't you? <laughs> it's better than listening I to said, you, baby. <laughs> yes. Yes, like, I my, did. And my response is, the human torch was denied a bank loan. <laughs> the human torch was denied a bank loan. Unique New York. Unique New York. <laughs> Mr. Bond, James Bond. <laughs> Ask her who was better, me or Sean Connery. <laughs> oh, I think you know the answer to that, laddie. <laughs> that could be only one. <laughs> I was in the Highlander. <sighs> yes, we know. Get, all right, get back. All right, he's he's gone. I had a Felix Leiter update from last episode, and I never gave it. And oh. then I, I don't have to. I want to hear it. Let's do it. Like, just say it now? Yeah, I have the audio. Okay. It's well, not like that's going to have anything to contribute. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the, the Felix Leiter update was, like, the last update, like, there was kind of, you know, negotiations going on, and, you know, Donald Glover did his little movie or whatever, you know, it, it was a one-time thing. Like, years from now, it might be, you know, highly regarded, but for now, it's crap. Mm-hmm. It's crap now. It's the Tokyo and- Drift of the franchise. Yes. And so, like, you know, after, you know, some intense negotiations, you know, I'm back in the driver's seat as Felix Slider and have a new movie. And this is about a bad guy, Mr. Extra Large. And he is flooding the market with Cuba Zirconia to completely deflate uh, the value of diamonds. And so the movie coming out will be Diamonds Are Temporary. (laughs) Mr. Extra Large. Mr. Extra Large sounds suspiciously like Mr. Big. Like Mr. Big, the yeah. market what? sounds suspiciously no, like Goldfinger. No, no, no. This is completely original. I did not just take words and flip them around. Like I, I am better than that. Like my humor is at a higher level than that, Jared. I, I, I'm really upset that you. I'm, I'm upset. So, can you go on with the show? <laughs> can you proceed? Or are we dead for today? Yeah, I'll be all right. <laughs> Sometimes You'll you gotta... be hearing from my lawyer. <laughs> Hello, this is Delvin's lawyer. <laughs> Does he have a name? Or should I just call him lawyer? <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Lawyer Steen. <laughs> I'm Mr. Lawyer Face. 
Oh, man. Oh, boy. You had the scene. You knew what was going on. Don't, don't beat yourself up. All right. Let, all let right. us do that for you. I know. I know. Go ahead, Pat. Lay it on me. <laughs> Hit me again, Pat. Put some stank on it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I'll ask you my other questions now that that's out of the way. How many G's simulate takeoff? Seven. Wait, what? How many G's simulate takeoff? Ooh. You should know this, Major Space Force. <laughs> Come on, Major Space Force. <laughs> Doesn't matter. I can take all the G's. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't nothing but a G thing. <laughs> well, things. <laughs> it's good to know we have things in the mailbag <laughs> this week, Agent Jarrett. Stuff. Stuff and things. Would you would you say there are things that we would read, possibly listen to? All right, all right. Everybody, everybody back off. Please hold. <laughs> <laughs> we will now direct you to space sounds. <laughs> and that's a wrap for this episode of Longbox Crusade Elseworlds. I hope you've enjoyed it, and we'll see you around the alternate dimensions in the future. Music themes for this show are done by musical genius Joe November. Please check out his SoundCloud at Joseflin99. That's J-O-S-E-F-L-I-N-99. You will not regret it. <laughs>